but it's really building that community and getting people engaged in a sort of shared mission and vision of what you're trying to accomplish that's going to be the most impactful. Welcome to Modern Business Operations, where we talk with leaders about how ops is adapting to our modern world. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Modern Business Operations. I'm your host, Brianna Autry, and today I'm joined by William Cordes. He's the Director of Business Operations at Red Hat, or I should say, former. He just changed roles yesterday. What's your new role, Will? I'm now Senior Director of Global Deal Desk and Buying Programs for Red Hat. So moving from sort of a vertical role aligned to a product to more of a horizontal role across all of our transaction base as a company. Oh, well, congratulations. We're kind of the first to know. So it's like breaking news. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Thank you. Today, I'm going to be talking to Will about applying open source principles to your operations. A couple announcements at the top. Next week, my co-host, Sagi, will be joined by Dr. Ken Napton, the Chief Information Officer at Progression. If you're interested in speaking to Ken, speaking to Will, um, any of our speakers, make sure that you check out operations.community. That's Adaptive Ops, our ops community, where business operations professionals join, collaborate, and learn together. So make sure you check out Adaptive Ops. So let's talk about open source principles. Will, and you know, before we jump into that, do you just want to share a little bit about your background? I have worked for Red Hat for almost 15 years now. I actually started as an inside sales rep and kind of moved into a product focus operations job. And that's where I spent the last 11 years of my time at Red Hat, which in the modern world is kind of a crazy amount of time to spend with one company, <laughs> uh, let alone one role. But in the time I joined Red Hat, Red Hat went from a 1600 person company to over 20,000. So operations has been a daily, like, sort of new adventure <laughs> because we're always breaking things that used to work before and encountering new challenges along the way. My former role, which I held until just yesterday, was really focused on the business unit has a strategy. How do we make sure that the company's operations align with that? How do we have all the capabilities and the actual execution that helps us accomplish that strategy across all the different parts of the company, all the way to the customers and partners who, you know, as we go external from the company. And so that was what I spent a lot of my time on. Got it. All right. So you've seen a lot at Red Hat. Just to sort of level set, what does Red Hat do? And sort of where does the open source mentality come from at Red Hat? Red Hat has deep roots in open source. Um, we like to say that we're an enterprise software company with an open source development model. That means that we build enterprise software, right? Our first major name brand product, the product that I worked on, is Red Enterprise Linux, right? And rewind to like 2000, right? <laughs> Thinking about things like using open source software in an enterprise context was really like a novel idea for many people. And so the amazing thing is we've taken customers on a journey of really building trust in Red Hat's ability to like deliver enterprise class but from that open source. And everything we do goes back into that open source. We work in the communities. We make sure that the products are enterprise ready. We support them, provide all the services and everything around them and contribute all the fixes and improvements and the 
ask of our customers back into those open source communities and continue to do a lot of our development, most of it, in the open source community. Along the way, we've gone from an operating system as our product all the way to having a rich portfolio of Ansible for automation or open source for container-based workloads, middleware. We're now in cloud services. So one of the newest things we have is an open shift data science offering that kind of helps companies use a managed service to build their data science workflows. And so we continue to kind of like listen to our customers and our partners, look at the open source and upstream communities and say, hey, what is most important to enterprises? And again, the power of open source is that we we don't have to be the sole generators of the ideas. We work with our partners, with our customers, with our competitors in these open source communities. And the ideas that kind of bubble up are the sum of all those things, right? So breaking down those barriers, allowing ideas to bring progress and traction, despite the fact that maybe the product manager or the even the business unit doesn't think that that's really a priority at the moment, over time, we turn around like, hey, New context, now this thing that we didn't care a lot about actually is really important to customers and stuff like that. We don't have to start from scratch because pioneers and other people who face that problem started moving that ball forward, right? So that richness in open source community basically infects everything Red Hat does. We think about open source even in our internal operations. We have a sort of open decision-making process where we try to bring everybody into this decision. We try to push out strategy broadly so everybody knows why we're doing something and can make good choices about how to adapt their work to the strategy. I love that idea of adapting their work to the strategy and kind of molding those two together. How has Red Hat's open source mentality helped you progress in your ops career? Well, you know, it's funny, every job I've gotten within Red Hat, I've gotten by participating in internal communities in an open source way and getting noticed by going, hey, that's great contribution. Maybe you could contribute more in a different role. (laughs) So I I said, originally, I started in inside sales, right? And I quickly got involved in all kinds of projects, transformation, other things like that, trying to figure out like how I could be helpful because I had a computer science background in an MBA. So I wasn't your average inside sales rep. And I was really hungry for more, do a great job, but then participate in all these communities on the side. And I got noticed by head of operations in our products and technologies group, right? Uh, particularly the, the realm or platform business unit at the time, because I was on a call where there wasn't a clear outcome. People were trying to figure out, I, you know, what do we do about this problem? And I started suggesting ideas and asking questions and trying to get group consensus and make things move forward. And, you know, just participating in that community, bringing ideas, catalyzing other people to bring solutions to the table, helping the whole community actually solve the problem, got me noticed and got me an invitation to an interview and then an amazing 11 years actually working in a business unit, helping strategy execution. And my current role is kind of the same thing. I got involved from my business unit standpoint in building buying programs and working to approve BU to deal desk relationships as we try to empower sellers to strike great transaction models with our customers. 
and contributing in all those ways and the powerful led me to some conversations that led me to my new role. So that openness and allowing people from all across the company, no matter what their role, to contribute allows you to spot talent in the organization and move that talent up. And it's helped me progress my career. Wow. So that was a huge part of, of you moving into your current role is sort of having access to these conversations, this mentality. So if anyone listening in is sort of thinking about implementing more open source principles, that's a huge reason to do that. In your own team, what, what open source principles have you implemented and what's been the benefit there? Well, again, as I said, like open source is kind of the lifeblood of the community. So it's not like proactively implementing them, but I can give a couple of examples of ways in which we worked in an open source manner that, that I think in, in some other contexts might have been a little bit challenging. One thing that we depend on is actually communities of practice. This is where a lot of people across the company who care about something come together. We use chat forums and also a cadence of meetings and some sort of community management setup to try to bring all those people together to talk about issues, to allow the community to say, this is what we care about, right? Now, now sometimes when you aren't the owner of it, it's tempting to be like, okay, that's something somebody else is doing over there. And, you know, maybe I participate, maybe I don't. My team, we were actually very active participants in the chat room, in the community, listening to the issues people were bringing out, trying to respond to them. In one particular case, we, we made an announcement internally, change in strategy, some new things. We had some documentation put together, but the documentation wasn't sufficient. It didn't answer all the questions. There were a lot of unanswered questions that people were having. We leveraged the community. The community starting to put together and frequently ask questions themselves and starting to contribute what the answers and we just dived in we use that document as the basis we didn't try to start a different one or pull it out into some managed process we all dived in trying to listen to the questions reshape them consolidate them contribute the intelligence from the business unit make sure that it all came together and really reflected all the questions that were out there and guided people to the right answers high pressure situation lots of like why wasn't i told about this announcement other stuff like that but leveraging the community allowed us to draw like questions that we may not have ever anticipated and get them answered in a quick manner. We were able to turn it around in only a couple of days. Wow. So there's also sort of an agility to this, this these principles as well. There is. It definitely requires agility and like, but but it really requires community. We wouldn't have been able to do that if that community didn't exist. If it didn't have rules and norms, if it didn't have people who, who felt empowered to actually speak up and take actions as a part of the community, right? If people had yeah. to wait for some sort of, yeah, it's okay to do it, then it would have been a lot harder to get where we went. Right. And this is an internal community, right, at Red Hat? This is not external? Yeah. Just an internal community, but our external communities work the same way. Like we participate in them. They have their own governance. They have their own norms and participation. And yeah, we try to make sure that we're great participants and have leaders as a part of it. But we don't try to own it or control it in that way. One thing I want to mention to those listening in live, and we do have a live audience right now, is I'm going to continue the conversation with Will. But if you have any questions throughout, feel free to just post them in the chat. And we'll address them as they come in. 
what advice do you have for anyone listening in who wants to sort of get the ball rolling for implementing open source principles? Like where should they start? I think a lot of it is about this sense of great ideas can come from everywhere. But you need to have the infrastructure that supports people bringing those ideas in a safe way for them where they don't feel like they're putting themselves out at risk, you know, of getting, well, that's a dumb idea or, you know, other things like that. And you actually need some governance of those contributions. Like how do you accept different things and merge them into whatever it is you're doing? How do you create a way where people can participate in small ways, right? People in our source community aren't necessarily volunteering to work on the thing full time, right? Maybe they don't want to work on, on the side a little bit, you know, making it so that contributors can contribute in a variety of different ways, that there's a governance model so people know, like, how are contributions accepted and how do I know what happened to my attempt at contributing? And you got to be transparent about what the community is about. What's the strategy? What what are you working on? How do you know what what's out there to even contribute to? How are decisions made? How can I participate in making a decision? And the final thing is start small and focus on the community building first. It's tempting to get excited with tools or a project, but it's really building that community and getting people engaged in a sort of shared mission and vision of what you're trying to accomplish. That's going to be the most impactful. And whatever challenge you're up against, if you can draw out a community from all across your organization, you're going to get better results than if it's only a small team of people. Now, it's not going to be necessarily faster. It may be slower. You may have to take a lot of input and consider things you wouldn't have considered before or even get wrong input. But that wrong input can tell you about where you haven't communicated the strategy correctly or where people just don't understand what it is you're trying to do. And that in itself is a gift. Yeah, I like that. I like that, you know, there are not going to be all great ideas, but a not great idea, so to speak, can just imply that, you know, things are communicated clearly. I think we've all run into that, right? Especially operationally. Or it could be like an Edison's light bulb thing. Like sometimes you have to like explore a bad idea to truly know like, okay, that really is a bad idea and we don't want to do it. Sometimes yeah. your biases are wrong. Like sometimes what you think is a bad idea, the more you talk about it, and the more you hear from people, you're like, actually, this has some merit. And so being <laughs> open to yeah. that and working through that process, be either disqualifying the thing, like, no, it's bad for these reasons. Or, yeah. no, actually, like there's something to this and it just needs some help to get to become a really good idea. This episode is brought to you by Tonkin. Tonkin is the operating system for business operations providing businesses with the building blocks to orchestrate any process with no code or change management required. Contact us at Tonkin.com to learn how you can build complex processes fast. And if you're interested in staying up to date on all things business operations, join the AdaptiveOps community at operations.community. So I want to kind of switch gears and I want to talk about the, the IBM acquisition. Like, what can you share? I think people listening in are always curious about like a large, you know, merger. How did that go? Was there any open source mentality that kind of helped get you guys through it? Yeah. So first of all, like it was a big deal. It was a massive investment, $30 billion. Like that was amazing, right? And, you know, if anybody's been through an acquisition, like the moment the news breaks, you're all like in a moment of like, what does this mean? You know, sort of stuff like that. But the reality was, like IBM was an amazing open source partner 
for years before the acquisition. And they continue to be an amazing open source partner after the acquisition. We largely work with them in the same ways through open source communities and everything else like that, right? So from an operational standpoint, it wasn't a big change. We didn't change a lot of stuff. You know, our value is that we're a bit of that, that Switzerland, you know, in terms of technology. We work with every software vendor you know, all across the world. And so we continue to maintain that. So even though it was, you know, big external news and everything like that, it didn't turn out to be a big thing for us. We got some better collaboration and opened some more doors in terms of some interior collaboration, like more community involvement and stuff like that. So it enhanced and accelerated some conversations, but it didn't really change the nature of how we work together. That's a good sign. I know a lot of people can't say that about an acquisition, so... But really fortunate. And, and I think, you know, I'm, I'm super excited about the future of what is possible. You know, we're, we're really excited because this week has been all prepped for Red Hat Summit, which is next week where we're showing off like all our future plans and everything like that. So if you're interested more about what's going to happen, like there's a plug, like go listen to Red Hat Summit. There's a lot of amazing stuff being shown there. I'm really excited because I think the future is bright. Open source is now the standard for the industry. So much software is built on that. So much of our modern infrastructure depends on open source. And again, I'm excited about the potential of open source outside of just pure software and technology, the ways in which you can use it to build better processes and better execution and better conversations within your company. We have a question from our live audience from Javi. Javi is an awesome member of the Adaptive Ops community. Hi, Javi. It's good to have you on here. Javi asks, what best practices have developed at Red Hat for handling internal knowledge and documentation? Things like empowering the team to keep it up to date for their success and expanding documentation in an organic matter. It's a really big challenge because one of the challenges of opening stuff up is that you can have a thousand flowers viewing. Like many different versions of the same document can potentially exist if you aren't careful. And so that goes back to like the governance sort of model. It, Great to have all those contributions. You need a way to like actually manage all those contributions and still make it organized and make sense. If it becomes chaos, it doesn't help anybody. So focusing on some of that governance is a best practice. How are you going to accept contributions? Right? How are you going to make it easy for people to contribute? But how are you going to integrate it into a whole? The flip side is, this is an interesting thing, and, and, you know, depending on what generation you are, the the, the idea of forking off or, you know, doing pull requests on GitHub, there's this whole idea of, like, being able to copy something that's already there and then, like, splitting it off into something else and making a different version of it for a different purpose. That's actually really important as well, because especially in a 20,000-person company, it's pretty easy for similar ideas to strike a bunch of people across the company and for seven different efforts, all trying to solve the same thing to emerge in different parts of the company. So being able to create the transparency and having people be able to still copy off this main sort of core element and yet adapt it to their own needs is a really crucial part of like documentation management so that you can maintain a consistent form, but be able to like pull it in and make it useful. If you try to make it the one document that solves all problems, it's not going to work. And so 
there's different pieces of agility. I won't claim that Red Hat has figured out how to solve all those problems. We continue working on the, pulling in things like more of a like stack overflow mentality of how can we like have people upvote and downvote things and use a community to kind of like help to like really help the best answers come to the top. And we're also experimenting with like chatbots and natural language processing as a way to make it easy to just search and find stuff. Because once you get enough information, like finding the right information can be challenging. So there's there's constant challenges there. But again, working in communities, the community can kind of pull these issues together and bring a lot of ideas about how to solve it from all across the company and find people who have expertise in like knowledge librarians and other things like that that you didn't know existed in your company. So you've been with Red Hat for a while. What made you stick around? Well, I think it's the amazing variability of my day-to-day job. Again, on that journey from a 1,600-person company when I joined to 20,000, even in the platforms to rel business unit as that evolved over time, the job was never the same. <laughs> it felt like every... Every day, every year, we woke up and there was a completely new context. We had new products, you know, we had new groups that had spun up. We were reorganizing this way or that way. There's a lot of agility in terms of like, hey, let's adapt to the current situation, right? I always had an opportunity to jump into new challenges, new opportunities. One of the things I really love in the open source nature is the ability to work on so many cross-functional projects with a lot of people. And, and not because my management reached out and said, hey, we want you to work on this thing. You've been invited, stuff like that. Sometimes that happened, right? But sometimes it's just like I discovered an effort and I'd be like, this is a really cool, amazing effort. I want to lend my skills and abilities and help this succeed. Able to dive in and help it bring to the fore and solve problems. And that kind of spirit of getting engaged, not only keep being engaged and interested, but it also led me to the next opportunity and the next opportunity because if you're helpful in connecting people, if you're helpful in building a sense of community, people are going to approach you and say, hey, I need help. I've got this idea or I've got this problem or I, I need to find a way to build a community. Can you help? And so I never had a boring day at Red Hat. <laughs> That's awesome. It is key, I think. And I think everyone who's in operations or IT listening in can identify with they don't want a boring day, right, in their job. So that's why you choose those career paths in general. What about the operations at Red Hat sets it apart from from other organizations? Or is it not set apart? Is it very similar? There's always a danger. And this is something you learn through open source, too. There's always a danger in thinking that you are unique. The reality is... Most problems are common problems. And oftentimes, if they're unique, it's because you made them unique. You made specific choices that kind of painted you into a unique corner. (laughs) You customized something, and now because you customized it, it's unique. I think the recognition of this has been an evolution for operations within Red Hat of we have common problems. We need to solve them in systematic ways. It's especially true because we're a portfolio company. Things aren't like completely unique business units that have dedicated sales, dedicated marketing, dedicated engineering, all that. Right? Shared everything right? in many cases. Even, even where there are some dedicated sales, they're part of a larger team that is shared. Right? So when you get into that world, like it, 
pretty quickly becomes, hey, we need a common solution to this. This is why in, in, even in the REL business unit, I ended up driving cross-portfolio solutions. So my leadership, like there isn't a REL solution. There's a Red Hat solution that serves all the needs we have, at least where we have them. And being the, the oldest business unit, we often ended up running out ahead of those problems and saying, okay, we're encountering a problem that others will mature into in the near future. So let's build an infrastructure that's not fragilely designed for us, but that's adaptive and designed for the whole portfolio. I don't claim that operations is really distinct. It is. We, we build a community across multiple different operations groups. There isn't one operations tower within Red Hat. It's actually distributed out among sales, finance, legal products and technologies. And we actually have to build a really strong community across all those areas to make sure that we're able to jointly execute on priorities for the company. Okay, so it's like a horizontal layout for operations across Red Hat. Can you talk more about the structure of ops at Red Hat? I'm curious. Yeah, I mean, it's like I said, it's diversified. There's sales operations, you know, and and yeah. think about it kind of like we have we haven't gone full matrix, I guess I would say in terms of our <laughs> operations, but but it, it's it's kind of there in the sense that it's all embedded in all those places and yet needs to work together across all of them. The beauty of that is like you have people dedicated to like I was like a business unit, for example. Those people are deeply steeped in the needs of that business unit, the strategy of that business unit. Yeah. To participate in the broader community in a way that's different from somebody who occasionally serves that business unit, but also does a lot of other things. Having those deep connections, but then bringing it together in a community is the careful balance that I think we've tr- strived to take so that yeah. everybody feels served and responsive, but yeah. we're not doing fragmented solutions across the company. And I think a lot of people, especially with new newer ops roles kind of popping up or trying to figure out how to best structure out their program so and scale them, right? So it's always nice to hear at a company that is scaling quickly how that's working. Yeah, I mean, it's a challenge, right? And again, it goes to good community building, good process building, good, you know, sort of like agile practices among all the teams. Because, you know, 20,000 person, it's pretty easy for there to be five different copies of something happening at different levels within the company. And if you don't have a way to, like, bring that all into a central place without putting so much bureaucracy on it that it slows down and makes you unresponsive, you run the risk of, of fragmenting. 100%. Yeah. Fragmentation is not good with operations. <laughs> nope. It's not. Yeah. Javi says, thanks. Raymond says, thanks. Also, you know, went through a merger or is days away from a merger and acquisition. So congrats on that, Raymond, and and best of luck to you there. So I will let you go, Will. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge. And it's been a real pleasure chatting with you. Yeah. And I'll I'll try to be present in the Adaptive Ops community. Uh, You can also find me on LinkedIn. So encourage you to hit me up there. I'm happy to have further conversations about this. I think there's great potential to continue to evolve the thinking about how to apply open source to operations to, to solve real problems, especially as you start to scale. And operations needs to respond to the business. So even in that scene between the business and operations, finding ways to like break down the barriers and create less formality and more openness to input. Yeah. I really think that like as operations professionals, we need to think deeply about how to make that 
approachable and adaptive. So yeah, and I mean, operations is the lifeblood of any org. So like, if if it's shifting in a direction, the rest of the company will follow just out of necessity almost, right? So it's incumbent on ops to sort of lead the charge in these areas, I think. Absolutely. Well, Brianna, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you to the whole community and look forward to further engagement. Thanks, Will. Thanks, everyone, for listening in. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Modern Business Operations. You can see the show notes and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at tonkin.com slash mbopod. Thank you for listening and be sure to subscribe for updates on future episodes. 